If you have your Bibles, uh, please turn with me to Matthew 25, uh, verses 1 through 13 for our gospel reading. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you do not know, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The word of the Lord. Dear Lord, I pray that you would open your word to us. Comfort us with your presence, but also challenge us with the reality of your coming. In Jesus' name, amen. Start by saying this parable, there's no easy way to say it, but this is about the end of the world. Uh, not life is, not, not the end of human existence, but Christ's return will end uh, life as we know it right now. Uh, this is not a super comfortable subject to talk about. I don't find myself discussing this uh, very often during the course of the day. Now, death is also an un uncomfortable subject, but it somehow seems um, a little bit more inevitable or predictable, something that you can actually plan for. The end of the world, on contrast, seems a little bit um, more remote, a little bit more nebulous, maybe even controversial, mysterious. Jesus, though, seemed to spend a lot more time talking about the end of the world than he did about you know, individual physical death. If you look at his parables, I, I could only find or remember two parables talking about uh, an individual's physical death, the, uh, the rich fool, the parable of the rich fool, and the parable of, of Lazarus the beggar. But there are numerous teachings that Jesus had on end times and numerous parables uh, of the kingdom that talked about his coming. Major themes include judgment, setting things right and bringing, bringing about justice, accountability, holding people accountable for their responses, invitation, welcoming those who respond in preparation, being ready when Christ returns. And those themes are present in this parable as well, especially that of preparation. Now, it's not that we never talk about the end of the world or think about it. Uh, there's actually no credible scientific theory that suggests that this world will continue on forever as we know it. But our secular imagination tends to focus more on the how than on the why. When I was growing up, it was really all about overpopulation and the threat of nuclear annihilation. Those seemed to be in vogue at the time. Now, those are a bit passe. Now, we tend to talk a little bit more about uh, global warming and um, uh, rogue artificial intelligence. Uh, no, no offense to those who are working in AI. Um, uh, Robert Frost, I think, perhaps put it more poetically. Uh, some say the world will end in fire. Some say in ice. From what I've tasted of desire, I hold with those who favor fire. 
But if I had to perish twice, I think I know enough of hate to say that for destruction ice is also great and would suffice. Jesus, in contrast to talking about the how, he focuses on the meaning rather than the mechanics. The end of the world will be intentional. He likens it to the return of a master from a trip or a planned wedding feast. It would be personal. It focuses on the coming of an individual, of himself. It's certain that it will happen, but it's unknown as to the exact timing. That brings us to our parable, our gospel reading for this morning. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who are waiting for the bridegroom to arrive. Five of them are foolish. They're unprepared. They bring lamps, but no extra oil. There are five wise ones who are prepared. They bring both lamps and extra oil. Now, in this very short parable, there are a lot of different plot elements. I counted at least 12 important plot elements, and so I encourage you uh, on your own to look at this more carefully. But the crux of this is the plot turns on the bridegroom's delay. The foolish virgins do not forget to bring oil. Rather, the delay of the bridegroom shows that they did not bring enough. The focus of this parable, then, is on the need to be ready when Christ returns. Watchfulness is needed because the day and the hour are unknown. Now, before we get too far in this parable, I'd like to point out some potentially distracting plot elements in this this parable, just so that they don't become uh, a distraction to you. The first is is the bridegroom's delay. Now, who shows up late for their own wedding? especially so late that the guests have already fallen asleep. Now here in the US, we tend to be pretty punctual about start times for our weddings. I learned this years ago when I showed up a few minutes late for a wedding. Um, I ended up coming into the narthex just as the bridal party was about to you know, go down the aisle. And all the eyes turned to me, which was embarrassing enough. It was even more embarrassing because the bride was actually a girl I dated in college. It was really... <laughs> really bad. (laughs) But in first century Palestine, weddings were multi-day events and they weren't weren't on strict timelines. There are other more event-oriented rather than time-oriented cultures. My wife and I lived and worked in in a rural part of Kenya in East Africa for a number of years and that is also an event-oriented culture. Weddings there usually start hours after the published time and they go well into the night. Uh, If you sign on to go to a wedding, you're talking about an all day and all night type of situation. Now, why did the bridegroom uh, delay? Jesus doesn't give us that information. Uh, Commentators have speculated. Uh, Some have suggested that there was some um, haggling or negotiation over the value of the gifts uh, exchanged by the families. Uh, I noticed this in a couple of commentaries and it would sound pretty ludicrous to me if I hadn't actually seen this in real life. Um, several years ago, a Kenyan friend of mine named Kenneth um, was getting married and he asked me to, to drive him to the wedding venue and I was very honored to do that. Now, as part of it, we, we made a stop off to meet with members of his family and the bride's family. And he went out and he talked with them, and I noticed that there was some rather animated talking, and eventually they sent him back into the vehicle uh, with me. I asked him what was going on. He said, well, 
the bride's family uh, felt that the, 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 the dowry or the bride price uh, had undervalued the, the bride somewhat, and so they were asking for a, a little bit more. Uh, his family, on the other hand, were stepping in to defend his interests, making sure he didn't get uh, ripped off. So poor Kenneth was sitting there, not sure uh, how this was going to go or what the outcome was going to be, and the guy was sitting in his suit, literally sweating bullets. Um, Kenneth happened to be in town a couple weeks ago for a, for a conference, um, uh, visiting from Kenya, and so I had a chance to sit with him, and I, I just brought this up and, and uh, you know, just asked him for his memories of it. What he remembers in that moment is how kind I was to turn on the air conditioner even though the car was parked. So um, it's interesting how our memories, we tend to forget the bad and we hang on to what's good. Uh, the point here, though, is that Jesus doesn't tell us why the bridegroom is, is delayed, and he doesn't tell us why his return is delayed. There's negotiations, there's things behind the scene that we may, we may never know. The second plot element that can be problematic for us is the wise virgin's refusal to share uh, their oil with the foolish virgins. This seems kind of a little bit hard-hearted or stingy. Um, in the Greek, the, the language there, though, is, is, is pretty strong. It's a double or triple negative. There definitely will not be enough if we share with you. Uh, the risk was that instead of five lamps going out, all ten lamps would go out before the wedding procession had, had arrived. Uh, the third element that, um, that can be a little bit distracting is the bridegroom's really harsh response when the foolish virgins, virgins uh, arrive and, and ask to be let in. Now, just in cultural context, um, doors are generally shut at night to, to keep out thieves, and unlocking a door at night was a, was a big deal, and that is still true in places where we don't have electricity or security systems or video cameras or peepholes. Um, you only open the door at night if you're certain who's there and why they need to come in. Now, granted, this may be a sort of an extreme case, and even if it seems kind of improbable that a bridegroom would actually exclude his guests in that way, um, in this parable it serves a purpose. The phrase, and the door was locked, was a rabbinic expression uh, for lost opportunity. What Jesus is trying to get at here is, there is a time uh, when it's too late, when the door will be forever closed. So this, uh, this parable is, I think, first about readiness. Um, there are different types of preparation. Preparing for events, certain events with certain timing is, uh, is relatively straightforward. We knew a bunch of you would be coming here uh, around 8.30 or 9 this morning, and so we had uh, bagels, we had coffee ready for you. Um, that was not too difficult to plan for. There are other events, though, um, with uncertain timing, and those are more difficult to plan for. Uh, can I have the photograph, please? Okay. Now, this uh, diminutive stormtrooper is actually my wife, Kim. Uh, my wife is an obstetrician, and that means she delivers babies, and this photo was taken sometime in 2020 during the middle of the pandemic lockdowns. Now, um, while most people were working remotely or teleworking, it turns out that delivering babies is hard to do remotely. <laughs> so what she's demonstrating here is her preparation. She is prepared, other, she needs to put some gloves on, but other than that, she's, 
she's prepared to go in and see a, a patient, even in the middle of the COVID uh, pandemic. And, and um, she, didn't, she didn't get inf infected, even though she went to work every day. Um, my experience with the pandemic was a little bit different. <clears throat> December 31st, 2019, I received a call from my friend uh, John Dreisner, who um, was uh, director of CDC's Center uh, for Preparedness and Response. And um, I was serving that time as Secretary of Health for the state of Arkansas and uh, president of an of a organization called the Association of State and Territorial Health Officials. It's comprised of the state health department directors. There's only 50 of us. It's kind of a small organization. But um, <clears throat> he called and said, there's this cluster of respiratory infections in Wuhan, China. It may be nothing, but I have a funny feeling about it. Thought you would want to know. Now, John and I had known each other for years and both been involved with pandemic planning on the state and the national level. The next few months, though, would show how well we had prepared. Um, I was involved in the COVID response both at the state level and then when I moved to CDC. And this morning, I'm not here to either defend nor to critique the COVID response. Um, uh, suffice it to say that in some ways, we were like the, the wise virgins. We had had some preparation. We had emergency operation centers. We had a laboratory response network. We had a strategic national stockpile. But like the foolish version, virgins, it, it uh, seemed that our preparations fell short in many ways. Um, there were inadequate supplies of PPE, personal protective equipment. Um, we failed to fully anticipate the adverse uh, impact of shutting down schools and businesses. And then there was the toilet paper shortage. <laughs> I mean, that wasn't part of any of our pandemic planning scenarios, not at all. So how do we get ready for Christ's return? I think this parable is first and foremost about experiencing God's love and life in the Holy Spirit. The foolish virgins, they seem ready, but in reality they're not, and they represent people who seem spiritually prepared even though they're not. They look like they have their lives together. They may say and do many of the right things, but they have no real relationship or spiritual connection to Jesus. There's nothing to keep their fire going. There's no oil in their lamps. Jesus is right in saying of them, I do not know you. As Keith Brooks puts it, the lamp is a type of the of God's word and the oil of the Holy Spirit. The two classes distinguish between possessors of Christianity and professors of it. I think this uh, parable also has something to tell us about how to stay spiritually uh, ready. What we believe about Christ's return should impact how we live uh, from day to day. What are our priorities? How do we spend our time? What occupies our thoughts and our attention? For those of us who have been at this Christianity thing for a while, are we still burning brightly or is our oil running out? Have we lost focus and gotten distracted by other things? Our lamps flicker amid the winds and temptations of this life, wrote St. Augustine, but only let our flame burn strongly that the wind of temptation may increase the fire rather than put it out. For those of us who are newer to the faith, are we embodying practices and postures that lead to the restoration of our whole person, 
body, mind, and spirit. One of my pastimes is running long distances. Actually, a year ago today, I ran my 50th marathon. What I have learned in that process is that for these longer distances, hydration, nutrition, and pace are really important. If you don't hydrate, if you don't refuel, if you don't control your pace, uh, you're likely to run out of steam before you cross the finish line, sometimes long before that. Um, I remember one race, um, I hit the wall. I could hardly walk another step, but I was still 17 miles away from my car, so you just suck it up, <laughs> keep on going. The point is, is that being spiritually ready, staying spiritually ready, living a life of faith is more like a marathon or an ultra-marathon than, uh, than it is like a sprint. And um, we need to learn uh, to... Um, uh, we need to learn to cultivate practices that allow the Holy Spirit to nourish and to sustain us. This parable is addressed to us not only as individuals, but also to us collectively as the church, as the community of the redeemed. If Christ's uh, return is delayed, are we investing in the next generation? Are we contributing cultural value? that will outlast us and invite future generations into friendship with Jesus? Are we working for justice in reconciled communities? Are we steward, stewarding wisely this beautiful world that God has gifted to us? This parable is also about limitations. There's too little oil. At a certain point in the story, there's too little time to buy more oil. And there's too little information on, the exact, uh, on exactly when the bridegroom would, would arrive. These challenges of limitations are, are part of our human condition. We have limited time, we have limited resources, we have limited knowledge and information. We're created, created in God's image, but unlike him, we're limited in time and space. Now these limitations are God-given. They're a part of the wisdom of his creation, but we experience them as constraints, as barriers. We experience them as, as not enough. So how do we respond to these limitations? Now in our parable, both the wise and the foolish virgins, they faced the same limitations, but the wise and the foolish, they both fell asleep. The wise ones were not like superhuman. They weren't super caffeinated either. Um, they were normal people, but they recognized their limitations and they prepared for them. The foolish ones, they either failed to recognize these limitations or they were just too distracted by other things until it was too late. Jesus invites us in our limitations, within our limitations, and that invitation is at least fourfold. The first invitation is to acknowledge, accept, and to even embrace our limitations. I'll say this is a personal struggle for me. This is one of those where do as I say, don't do as I do. Um, the limitation that I struggle with probably the most is the limitation of time. In this season of life, I really feel like the Lord is calling me into, um, into dealing with these limitations. I think I've gotten to the point where I accept them and I acknowledge them, not yet to the point where I've really embraced them. Um, I uh, think of myself kind of as a both and kind of person rather than an either or, um, but there are limitations that God has given. In this season of life, uh, I'm, I'm learning, I'm struggling to, to embrace those. Um, the one that my um, heart 
kind of revolts against most of the limitation of time. I'll just be honest with you. Um, sometimes time seems to creep along at a snail's pace and then it rushes by and it's gone. The moments pass by. They can never be reclaimed. Jesus' um, second part of his invitation to us is to focus on what is most important. I want to be able to say yes to things, but saying yes to Jesus means saying no to many other things, many other good things of lesser importance. I want to say yes to things, but I want to say yes to the right things. And Jesus invites us to examine our priorities in light of what he's revealed to us. The third aspect of Jesus' invitation is, is to build margin into our lives. A mentor of mine used to always say to me, uh, Nate, things always take longer than they do. Um, there's some variation of that that's called Hofstetler's uh, Law. Things always take longer than you think they will. And is that true? Uh, maybe even this sermon. Um. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is the oil, uh, but our lives are the vessels. And so Jesus invites us to make space for the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. And the fourth aspect of Jesus' invitation to us in our limitations is to experience his limitlessness in our limitations, his light in our darkness, his abundance in our scarcity, his comfort in our sorrow, and his grace in our failures. Our limitations allow us to experience God's provision or his pruning. Both are intended for our good, and both will help us to grow. Amen. As we move into our time of confession and then communion, I'd like to leave with you with two questions for reflection. The first is, in what ways does the call to spiritual readiness challenge your priorities and daily practices? And the second, how is God inviting you to embrace your limitations in this season of your life? We'll give a few moments before we move into our time of confession.